0: Thank you, Lauren and uh, Annika. Well read. Wonderful. Is there a theme here this morning? We've got the young people reading scripture, memorizing scripture. Wonderful. And also there's a theme here uh, in our reading today about faith being passed on from one generation to the next and then to the next again, from grandmother to mother to Timothy, and that's part of the story that we're going to see this morning. I'd like you to turn to page 1178. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And just a few words of introduction before we begin this reading. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about this letter. It's a farewell letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was one of his sort of protégés, you could say, one of his uh, disciples in a way, somebody who he had trained and sent out and to do missionary work in the world and actually was asking Timothy to come back to him because he was in prison so that he could be comforted and so he could see him one last time. We believe this letter was written from prison. So Paul was imprisoned at the time this was written. He was near the end of his life. And we think this is the last letter that Paul ever wrote. So this is the basically... Uh, It's nearly, this is the, nearly the end of the New Testament, at least as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned. Um, One of the things that Paul's really concerned about in this letter is that he make a good end. That he ends his ministry well by making sure that the next generation of evangelists is well equipped to do their work. And so a lot of what he's writing to Timothy is to shore him up and is to encourage him and to remind him of what sound teaching is. And so he really emphasizes that it's by the word that many good things happen, and it's by the power of the Spirit that you are able to go and do great things in this world. And so there's this real sense of encouragement. And there's a real touching, you'll see uh, both here and in other parts of this letter, a touching paternal sort of connection between Paul and Timothy, almost like their family. And there's no mention that we have in the Bible of Paul being married. There's no real sense that we have that he was married, although it is possible that he was married because of some oblique passages here and there. But we don't think he was married, and we don't think he had any children of his own. But yet Timothy was like a son to him. Timothy was like a spiritual child to him. And I hold out when I read this that um, there are sometimes stronger bonds between people than blood. Have you noticed that in this life? There are stronger bonds between people than just that I'm their father and they're my child. But there are other people in this world that I'm unrelated to that could be closer to me than a son or a father or a brother or a mother or a sister. And I think that's the case here um, with Paul and Timothy, that he's a spiritual parent to Timothy. And um, there's a sad side to that, too, because I think I know some Christians who said, my own parents... I'm not that close with, but these spiritual parents of mine are like the parents I wished I had. And that's both sad and happy, because here's somebody that's able to speak into their life and have this great connection with them, even though they're not related by blood. And so, all of that is with us here in this, first, in this reading from the first chapter of 2 Timothy. So, again, I encourage you to follow along. It's page 1178. And I'll read starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, I, Lord, I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I might be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, But a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Before we go further, we've got a bit of a, is it an echo? What are you all hearing? I know I'm hearing it. Is there a, so? could we solo this one, maybe? Or maybe turn down the gain on the main. How's that sound? No more echo? You did it, John. All right. No, I just heard it. Maybe I have to lower my volume and just let the sound system work. But then I have to kind of dampen my fervor, which is hard to do. All right. Well, uh, look into your Bibles, please. Uh, And I want to tell you, before we go into discussing this passage, I want to tell you about a group of people that you may have heard about once in your life. Have you ever heard about a crazy group of people called the Lutherans? (laughs) Have you heard about the Lutherans? Even the name sounds kind of funny. In fact, they, they really shouldn't be called the Lutherans because it sounds like they worship Martin Luther. And they don't. They worship God, right? In fact, Luther did not want to, his followers to be called Lutherans. He didn't like that idea at all. But I'm telling you this because I grew up Lutheran. I grew up a Lutheran, and uh, we did a bunch of funny stuff. You know, uh, In some Lutheran churches, once a year, the pastor will dress up as Martin Luther and come out and kind of you know do this, Sort of stuff like he's at the Diet of Worms, which is not food, but it's actually a, a meeting, a medieval meeting where he had to defend himself. And he would say something like, You know, uh, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. He was defending the Protestant Reformation. So I grew up Lutheran, and I grew up specifically what was called American Lutheran, which is a, de- a denomination of Lutherans that doesn't exist anymore. They kind of merged with another group. Of Lutherans, get this: there was a group of Lutherans called the American Lutheran Church. That was the name of this denomination, and there was another denomination called the Lutheran Church in America. And they could not see eye No, they could actually. They, we, when I went to camp, I would go. I was went to an ALC church, and we would go to camp with other ALC churches, but also with LCA churches, and we, we endured them, and. Uh, you know, because the, the the biggest enmity you have is with the people who are the closest to you in doctrine, right? But you just can't see eye to eye on the little stuff. But we went to camp together, and, and eventually some people at the headquarters of both these churches said, ALC, LCA, it's just a bunch of letters. It all has the word American and Lutheran and church, in it's in some kind of configuration. So in 1987 they agreed to merge. And now they're something called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And you could say that the LCA kind of won out. And they won out theologically, too. I have to say this. Uh, I'm not bitter about it anymore. But it is part of the reason why I became a member of the Covenant Church. So you have, if you are thankful that I'm here, you can thank that merger. If you're not thankful I'm here, then I don't know what, I, let's talk. Let's talk afterwards. Let's talk after church sometime. Well, let's, let's do that. But these ALC Lutherans um, are almost like the covenant, almost like the denomination that you're in right now, because they had this really strong view of scripture, and they were sympathetic to this theological movement called pietism, which was a major ingredient in in our thinking here in our covenant denomination. And so, and by the way, if you'd like to learn more about, not Lutherans, because that's not that interesting, but more about how our denomination came to be formed As a result of the Protestant Reformation and the pietistic movement and some of the awakenings in Sweden in the 1800s, it's fascinating. We could have a special class on that, and I'd be glad to to teach that because it's really, really interesting stuff. It still is part of our DNA, so much so. But, anyways, um, this ALC church that I grew up in was kind of, it felt a lot like this church in a lot of really cool ways. I I just want to say that. It's this really strong. Connection to the word, this really strong hope that people could be renewed by the gospel and have a new life. And one Sunday, um, kids' Sunday school class was canceled for some reason. I don't know if it it was a vacation or the teachers were out. And so my parents said, "You're coming to adult Bible study with us before church starts." And I didn't know what to expect. I, I just I sat there with all these adults. I was like seven years old, I think. And here were people who were 70 years old sitting next to me. And do you know how there's some events in your life where you remember them like they're yesterday? Would you believe that 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 Sunday school class is such an event for me? But it is. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I don't know why. Except here I was sitting and these adults were talking about the Bible. And the way they talked about it was so confident and calm and knowledgeable. They were talking about the Bible and then they were quoting other parts of the Bible and they were explaining things to each other and they were they were discussing things and they the, there was this peace and this wisdom in the room. And I thought this is great, you know, and I have such good feelings about the church that I grew up in, this American Lutheran Church. It's on Tucson Boulevard in Tucson right next to Broadway. It's really easy to find. It's next to the Bob's Big Boy, you know. We sometimes go to Bob's Big Boy after church and have a hamburger there. And that church is still there, by the way. I I drove past it uh, a couple years back. I said, there's that old church. I remember that church. They knew the scriptures. They talked about them with ease. I think we were talking about the Old Testament that day. And um, I just remember it. And, And I kind of, at that point, I thought, maybe I should be going to adult Sunday school and just sitting in the corner and listening to them. Because... Actually, as a, as a kid, I got kicked out of kids' Sunday school for being a holy terror. I did. And that should tell you a lot right now, you know. And, so, and when I see my, my little Kaya here hiding under the altar, I, I just see a little bit of... I, see, I know who I see when I look at her. And so I, it's hard to be too hard on her because it, it's, it's, it's just me. It's just little hans Eric under there trying to get a little attention, trying to get... And so, you know, maybe Kai is going to be a pastor someday. You know, maybe she's going to, who knows? We'll see. But uh, this, this was something that this intergenerational thing where people much older to me than me that weren't even related to me, yet were able to create this atmosphere around me of this love of the scriptures where they, I learned just by listening to them and being around them. And they had had actually this kind of thing that Paul is talking about. They had this power and love and self-discipline and this lack of timidity that the Apostle Paul describes in this letter to Timothy. And so I want you to go right away and look at these four terms because there's so much here. We can't really cover all 14 verses. But I want you to look at verse 7, right in the middle there. And it says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And that's kind of what I got that morning all those years ago in the ALC. But I want to start defining these terms. And if you, want to, um, if you want to take notes, this is a good time to take notes. Don't take notes about the Lutherans or getting kicked out of Sunday school. But take notes about what these terms mean because it helps us put things together. And I want to start with timidity. The thing that Paul tells Timothy that we are not to have a spirit of or that we did not receive a spirit of timidity. And this word is, the Greek word for it is deilia. It means faint-heartedness. It means cowardice. It means fear, to be fearful. Um, one definition is it's a state of fear because of a lack of courage or moral strength. It's cowardice. It's timidity. And um, cowardice is often rendered by means of an idiom. So there's some idioms that that people have, uh, we have in the scriptures to have a, a fallen heart, to have a soft heart, or one's heart has disappeared. And this really makes sense, doesn't it? Have you ever had that feeling where you're up against something that's so challenging and the, your heart falls down or your heart disappears? And that's timidity. That's that lack of courage. That's another word is cowardice or fear or to be fearful. Takes over and pushes your heart out of the way or softens it, not in a good way, but in a a softening in the sense that it gives way, even though you know it's not right. And I can really understand why Paul would say this of all people. Do not have a spirit of timidity. Do not have a spirit of cowardice. Don't let your heart fall away. Don't let your heart disappear. Because if you look through Paul's writings... And you look through the narrative of the Acts of the Apostles that we have in the Bible. uh, And you look at Paul's journey and his work. And you see, as far as I can tell, he didn't really have a good day in his life. Really. I mean, look at what Paul endured. Everything that happened to him. So, for one thing, uh, it's basically one set of challenges after another. The biggest thing, I think, is that people really didn't like the gospel. People did not like the gospel. They didn't like hearing the gospel. Why? Because the gospel called them into repentance. The gospel called them into a new life. It called them out of this old life that they wanted to hold on to and into a new life where they had to give up what they had. It was calling them into a life of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, submission to God. It was an incredibly unpopular message. It was for Jesus. It was for Paul. Everywhere the gospel was preached, resistance took place, especially from religious people. Unreligious people ate it up, but religious people in particular did not like the gospel. One Sometimes people would lose their livelihood because Paul came to town. You remember the story about a young slave girl who had this power of prophecy because a spirit was living inside of her, and Paul got so frustrated with her that he rebuked this spirit in the name of Jesus, and it left her, and these people lost the ability to earn money through her. She was one of the first trafficked people that we have recording of in the, in the Bible. They were using her to make money. And that got him kicked out of town. That got, him, that got him into a lot of trouble when you mess with people's livelihood. When Paul was beaten, he was imprisoned. He was brought before the authorities. He was, um, even nature was opposed to Paul. He was shipwrecked. You know, like, does he ever catch a break? It's like his car broke down, but like really tra- you know, massively. Paul had a hard time. And he says, he writes, he says he was hungry and he was lonely. And it's possible that he had some sort of serious injury or illness. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. Either it was a serious illness or an injury or a temptation. We don't know what it was. But it made his work really difficult and it forced him to submit even more to God. And he was incredibly stressed out. He was like a basket case. This is what he says, I'm so stressed out because I care about you guys so much. So he was worried for the churches he planted, he's worried for the people he had trained and sent out. And so, of all the people in the world, who is the temptation strongest for to be timid? But Paul. I mean, how many days would Paul wake up and say, Okay. I can't take it anymore. All the stress, all the strain, all the beatings, all the imprisonment, all the shipwrecks, all the... I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm going to let somebody else take this. I'm going to let somebody else do this. He never does that. Well, we know we're going to find out why, but he never does that. And it may not just be because he's a stubborn person. There's something else going on here. There's something else that God is doing through him. And actually, when we read Second Timothy, we, we get a sense of a more relaxed Paul. It's near the end of his life. He's willing to let go of a lot of things. He's willing to send out and bless. Even imprisonment, which is hard back then, which is taking its toll on him, he's still taking it with some sort of serene calm. And so he's more at peace, and he's ready to now just pass on what he knows. But for him, the temptation to be timid was huge. And I think he's saying to Timothy... You go out into the world as a missionary. You go out into the world to lead a church. You go out into the world to preach the gospel. And people are going to push back like crazy. And you can't be timid. You have to be courageous. Cowardice won't work in this situation. John 16.33, Jesus tells his disciples. This is the biggest understatement in the whole Bible. This is what John 16.33 says. And again, I I can't get over it. This is the biggest understatement in the Bible. It says, In this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. It is not easy being a follower of Jesus. You will be pushed against. But take heart. I have overcome the world Jesus follows with. So, this isn't the spirit we've been given, Paul says. It's not a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of cowardice. Instead, we've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control or self-discipline. And I want to go through each one of these. And here, you might want to, again, like I said, take notes. And I want to say a note about power because that's a really loaded word. And we think of We think of it as being about control, don't we? We think of having power as being able to control things. And that could be control of other people or other things or events, control over our destiny or the destiny of a nation. That's power, right? That's power. That's not exactly what is meant by power in the New Testament. Uh, Not always, at least. And especially in this case, I would say, and the Greek word here is dynamis. It's where we get the word dynamic from. It's this a sense of movement and ability. The sense is not control but it's the ability to do something, and this is an important distinction. Although they sound similar, right? Control has sort of an over, sort of, it's of this theme about it that's sort of like I'm going to control these things and move these things around. Whereas when you think of it more as a sense of ability to do something, it's about giftedness. It's about the the possibility that God has to work through through us. I remember in, in college physics class, there was a definition of power. Craig Eklund is going to get me on this one. So power is the rate at which work is done over time. Do you give me that? Okay. What's that? Eric? All right, physics. All right. Yes, I forgot. That's right. We have two mechanical engineers and... That's a different, yes, thumbs up. I, this is Newtonian physics. I like All kinds of physics, actually. But, so power is the rate at which work is done over time, which is close to this sense. We're not going with the physics definition of power here in the Bible, but that is pretty close. When we consider the source of this ability, which is the spirit, it's not about controlling things or people, but about ability, about gifts about the ability to do a thing that's important to God. And so for God, power would be the ability to learn or to teach or to speak or to take a voyage across the sea and tell people about the gospel. That's an ability to serve, to heal, and to pass on the word to new generations. This is power. This is the power we're talking about. Not power to rig elections, not power to control nations, not power to invade another country. That's a different kind of power. That's power over. That's power to serve myself. This kind of power that Paul talks about, and we see in the New Testament a lot, denomis, is power to do the work, the ability to do the work that God calls us into, It's ability. So we have this, the spirit, not of timidity, but of power, of ability to do what God wants us to do in the world. And now, next is love. So we have a spirit of power, and now love. And we know what love is. I mean, I could, we could spend a lot of time defining love, but it doesn't take much here. Here the word is agape, which many of you may know, is the kind of love that holds the other in high esteem, that's willing to sacrifice for another because it values the other so highly. And so now we could probably put the two together is you have powerful love, love that's marked by ability to do things that God wants to have. So we would call it uh, powerful love or love through power. And that powerful love is the ability and now the willingness actually to serve others, to sacrifice for others, to cross oceans for others because we value them so highly And it moves us even further away from the concept of power as control over others because love doesn't try to control things or other people. Love loves because it values the other person. So I'm going to try to put all three of these together because they all belong together. Power, love, and now, finally, self-control or self-discipline. And the Greek word for this is my favorite tongue twister now. Sofronismu sophronis <laughs> I love it so you want to try it anyone to try sophronis move you want to try it say it Jackie you want everyone to try it well you can't you can't get them all to do it but, so, I heard it that was good excellent sophfranis good so this is self-control self-discipline but one of the definitions would be to have understanding about practical matters and thus the ability to act sensibly to have sound judgment, to be sensible, to use good sense, to use sound judgment. This would be like the, the gift you would use when you go pick out shoes, right? Real sensible shoes, sensible sound judgment for your shoes. Or alternatively, it would be to behave in a sensible manner with the implication of thoughtful awareness of what is best. Moderation, sensibility. Um, it's, it's not the most exciting word in the Bible, perhaps, but it's interesting and valuable that has been put together with these other two other amazing words we have a spirit of power we have a spirit of love and mixed into with that we have a spirit of self-control or self-discipline which causes us to behave in a sensible manner with thoughtful awareness of what is best the ability to have understanding about practical matters, and be able to act sensibly so, we put all this together is powerful love that yet is governed by a sound mind. It's all the giftedness together that God wants to give us, that Paul was really wishing for Timothy to have and, and thought that he had, so that he could go and be the evangelist and the missionary and the disciple that he wanted Timothy to be, so that he could leave his legacy, legacy with Timothy. And die in prison in peace, and pass on this great heritage that he had to somebody younger. So, I want us now to look at the sources of this gift that Paul is telling Timothy that he has. Because, and, and we're going to go a little bit in reverse order now. I want to go back a few steps and ask you to look at verse 5. Where does Timothy get all this? What is the source of this spirit? Love, power, and self-control. Well, Paul says, there are two really important people in your life, Timothy. Your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. These are people who had exemplary faith. These are people from whom you learned the faith. And so I want to say to you, if you're a grandparent, grandparents, I know there are many grandparents in the room, don't forget what an incredible influence you have on your grandchildren don't forget. You actually have a really big role in their lives. And you can say things to them that their parents can't. It was really great, right? You can say, and in fact, you can leave them, you can have fun with them and then just leave them, and and somebody else, uh, every now and then, not often, you know, when I I pick up the youngest, uh, the the diaper hasn't been changed. And and it's from the grandparents, you know. And that's okay, because I figure... They should just have the fun parts. I, I can change that diaper. You know, It's okay, because I want them to have fun together. I want them to have all these positive experiences together. And maybe in a year or so, we'll be out of diapers. Praise the Lord. Uh, but, but grandparents, you have this really unique place in your grandchildren's lives. But parents do, too, obviously. You're the primary ones that are imparting the faith to your own children. And we have spiritual parents. And we have spiritual grandparents. And... I just, right now, I'm thinking of these Lutherans. God bless the Lutherans. And this room full of people that were sitting and holding forth on the scriptures in this really wonderful and life-giving way that as a seven-year-old, I was just amazed by. Thank God for them, because in that moment, they were being my spiritual grandparents. They were being my lowest in that moment, weren't they? Right? And they were, they were pouring into me, and, and it must have been a powerful experience because I, I honestly I remember it as if it was yesterday. So we want to find a way in our church where you can impact the lives not just of your own grandchildren, but other people's children and grandchildren. Does that sound good to you? And, and we're going to be working on this. Some way to be a prayer partner with younger children if you're interested, and if they're interested. They, both sides have to be interested. But look for details in the next month or so where we're going to ask you to pair up with a young child and take this vow that we we made seriously two weeks ago at their their baptism, that we were going to take part in the nurture of these children. So look for that. But there's another source of of, uh, Timothy's spirit, or another source of Timothy's faith, another source of Timothy getting into this line, and that is, look at verse 6, where it says that Paul himself laid his hands on Timothy, and commissioned him. And this is really huge. This is the sense of somebody actually investing his life, his energy, in his disciple and his student, and saying, I'm now going to bless you on your way as you go into this world and do the missionary work and, and visit the churches that I've already started and make sure that they're doing okay. And so Paul is out like blessing Timothy with this call to evangelize out into the world. And he also tells him, and if we look at now ahead to verse 13, he's imparting to him also sound teaching and told him to keep it as a pattern of his teaching. So if you look at verse 13, it reads like this. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is, is not just interested in passing on the spirit of power, love, and self-control, but, it ha- but there's this sound mind and sound teaching that goes with it, which is incredibly important. And this, you know, this I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my childhood. Because it makes sense of something else I experienced when I was a child in that church. And that was that there was a retired pastor. He joined the church. He was a a retired Lutheran pastor. And he asked if he could help teach Sunday school. And so they said, sure, what could go wrong with that? He's a former pastor, after all. He can't, you know, what, what could go wrong? You, every time I say what could go wrong, you know what's going to happen, right? Something's going to go wrong. Uh, so he began to bring in this material that we would now call prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is is this interpretation of scripture that says, basically, God wants to make you wealthy, cure you all of your diseases, and make your life just perfect. It's really short on on suffering, on sacrifice, on uh, just taking up your cross. And it really is like you follow Jesus and your bank account just skyrockets somehow and you, you don't have to go to the doctor anymore and etc. And so sometimes they would say this Jesus wants to make you healthy wealthy and wise. And that sounds like a good deal right? And this is rampant in the third world unfortunately. Um, so and my father who was very self controlled in what he said. I mean if he said something you really listened because it was rare you know. Uh, he said, "How odd it was that this man was so often ill, and his wife was chronically ill, and they they didn't seem to have a lot of money because they drove a really horrible car." Now, <laughs> my dad—that was my dad just being a little. Uh, a little sarcastic or something, I'm not sure. It was a little out of character for him, but it was, it was, I think, because he cared about this teaching. And there's nothing wrong with being ill, and there's nothing wrong with having a bad car. Listen, do not I'm not saying that. Neither did my father. But whatever this thing was, this teaching, it was not working for them at all, and yet they were sold on it, you know? And so it was just odd to him that, why are they talking about this stuff when it doesn't seem to be working? And so this is where the right teaching thing comes about, the right pattern of teaching that Paul talks to Timothy Uh, the church said to him no you can't we respect you, we love you, but you can't teach that stuff in Sunday school anymore we don't believe that stuff that's not how we interpret the scriptures it's not a sound understanding of the scripture and so the funny thing is he agreed he said okay I'll stop I'll, I'll teach other things but then it would kind of sneak back in. It would just kind of come up again. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself from teaching this prosperity gospel. And they said, okay, now you can't teach here at all. Because you can't seem to help yourself. And this is where I really appreciate that they didn't have timidity. You know what I'm saying? They, were, they did not have a spirit of timidity. But they spoke directly to him and said, this isn't working out you you can come here but you can't teach anymore um, because you can't seem to help yourself from preaching this prosperity stuff and he left the church and I, and i was young but i remember not understanding all of it at the time but i got the sense that the church had stood up for something important and it had acted out of its own understanding of the gospel and and i was sad to see them go because i really liked them i liked him and his wife they were nice people um, But there's more to life than being nice or thinking someone's nice. Nice doesn't help Paul. Nice doesn't help Timothy. Power and love and self-control and the testimony of generations before that have brought us faith, that's what God cares about. And so there's a time to be courageous, and there's a time to stand for good doctrine, and there's a time to work in love the things that God gives us the ability to do with a sound mind, and in sound teaching. It all hangs together. So I want you to use this passage this week. There's three things that you could do. One or, one or more of these three things that I want to invite you to do. One is I want to remind you that you have a spirit of power and of love and of self-control because you have the same spirit that Timothy had, that Paul had. This is your gift too. God intends for you to do the things that he has given you ability to do in love and in thoughtfulness. And this means conversations, it means acts of service, acts of sacrifice on your part, because you value other people so highly. This spirit is in you, and it wants to work and act through you. Second, remember, and I don't think you will forget at all, but I want to remind you, That you have a role in the shaping of other people. It doesn't matter if they're young, but especially, not only, children. Children are looking to you all the time, watching what you do. And your own children are, too. Your own grandchildren, too. You make a vow to nurture our children who are baptized, and you may be asked to be a prayer partner. So be open to that. Be open to this nurturing role you can have in the next generation. And three, parents or grandparents, or if you're a spiritual parent or spiritual grandparent, and if you haven't already done this, find a Bible for one of those children in your life. And I'm talking about a paper Bible, because I want you to do something special with this Bible that you can't do with an iPhone Bible, okay? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to find that Bible together. Maybe you could look online for it, but better to go to a store so that the child can pick out this Bible themselves and say, Well, I like the one with rainbows on it, or I like the one with butterflies on it, or I like the one that is in camouflage because it looks like an army ranger, or something, whatever it takes. But it wants to be that child's Bible. Look for it together, pick it out for them as a gift, and then I suggest that you write verses 6, 7, and 8 of this passage in your own handwriting. This is why it won't work on an iPhone. In your own handwriting, on the inside cover, and dedicate the Bible to your child, your spiritual child, your grandchild or your spiritual grandchild. Give them that Bible and remind them with Scripture of the spirit that God is calling them into, of power, of love, of self-control, and address the words to them as if they were your own. That's number three, if you can do that this week. So let's praise God. For the faithfulness of Christ, who gives us the spirit of power, love, and self-control. Amen.